supposed to squeal. It's not my fault. Um, I just, I just sense in my heart we got to get ready for more services. And I know that we don't have any first-time guests in here, but I believe we're going to start getting first-time guests in here. Amen. And uh, it's just important that we start inviting friends and family. How many people need what you have? It really comes down to that. People need to know what you have. And, and that's why, again, we need to let our light shine wherever we go. Have you ever gone somewhere and you're, you're not really uh, feeling so hot or you might have had a little dispute with your spouse or with your children or with your parents or whatever the case is? And then you, all of a sudden you're out there and you're kind of st- you know, stewing in it in your car as you drive to work or wherever and, and you're just kind of stewing it and stewing it. And then all of a sudden a song comes on or it, you sense something in your spirit and you're, you're reminded, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be a witness for Christ. Am I the only one that's ever had that happen when you're driving and someone cuts you off and you, you really would like to do something with you? Yeah, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have to go there if that's never happened before, but I, it has happened before. But you know what? Again, it's just coming to that understanding, I'm a child of God. I'm, con- I'm called to represent him to the world. I'm supposed to be a reflection of his glory. Did you hear that? People need to look at me and see Jesus. And if what they're seeing when they see me isn't Jesus, why would they want what I have? But if they look on me and see Jesus, you know what I mean by that? That They see a person that's living successfully and victoriously. That's not saying I'm not going to be challenged. I mean, we just went through a whole year, probably more longer than that, of being challenged. But glory to God, here we are. What, what, What does that prove out? God is faithful. You know, sometimes it doesn't happen as quickly as we'd like it to happen. It would have been really nice the day we found out that we weren't going to be able to be in King Tua anymore. It would have been nice that very next day for us to find out about this place. But guess what? This place wasn't available at that time. And, and, and it would have been nice to have to, not to have to go through all that we went through with, with that building over there. But you know what? You know what I look at that as? You know what I look at that as? A time of growing and trusting in the Lord. My trust in God has grown leaps and bounds. Amen. God is so good. He's so good. He's a good, good father. It's who he is. And I'm loved by him. It's who I am. Glory to God. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, let's pray and we'll get into the word this morning. Father, right now in Jesus' name, we thank you for the opportunity to... Get into the holy written Bible. We honor the word in our lives. We respect the word of God in our lives. We are so grateful for the word. And we're hungry for the word. We're asking you, Holy Spirit, as our teacher, to lead us and guide us into the truth of the word of God this morning. And I thank you already for everything that will happen this day. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. So this morning, I want to continue our study that we've begun over a year ago, kind of took a little break there, did a little teaching on faith, and we're going to get back into faith a little bit in the near future. But I wanted to st- continue our study of what manner of man is this, speaking of Jesus when he walked upon the earth. And so far, we've seen that Jesus was a man of prayer, was he not? He always sought the fa- always spent time in the Father's presence. 
He always spent time in the Father's presence until he heard from his Father and got the direction of his Father. And then all Jesus would do is simply turn around and say what the Father said and do what he saw the Father do. That's so powerful. Then we saw how Jesus always operated in the love of God, including forgiving others. How many know that Jesus is the ultimate demonstration of someone who lived in forgiveness? To be able to be nailed to a cross and look down and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's so powerful. And then we've seen how Jesus operated in authority. He spoke to a tree. It dried up from the roots. He spoke to the wind of the waves, and they became calm. He spoke to demons, and they obeyed him. And in some cases, he simply spoke a word, and people were healed. And we've also seen that Jesus was faithful. He was faithful to always do what his father instructed him to do. So as his followers, as Christians, as born-again believers, should we be people of prayer? Should we be people who always operate in the love of God, including forgiving others? Everybody say, I'm going to forgive because the Bible tells me to. Not because I feel like it. There's a big truth right there. Shall we be people who operate in the authority of God that, has been, that God has now delegated to us? Which means when, that we're the ones that are called to resist the devil. You and me, we're the ones called to resist the devil. He's delegated that authority to us now. We're the ones that are supposed to do it. But when we do it in faith, glory to God, the Bible says the devil will flee from us. Run from us in holy terror. I love to get a picture in my mind of seeing that stinking devil run away in terror. When I speak the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And then we're called to be people who are faithful. Everybody say, I'm faithful. Glory to God. So this morning, I want to move on to another area we're supposed to follow the example of Jesus. That he uh, showed us when he walked the earth. And I can honestly say I was not planning on going this direction. Until I was reading through my Bible and it's so clear that we're supposed to go this direction. Go with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And I want to read a couple of verses here in in the fifth chapter of Hebrews. Beginning in chapter, I mean, excuse me, verse 8. The Bible says this, though he was a son, speaking of Jesus, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Listen to this, these same verses from the Passion Translation. But even though he was a wonderful son, he learned to listen and obey through all his sufferings. And after being proven perfect in this way, he has now become the source of eternal salvation to all those who listen to him and Obey. So Jesus became perfect through what? Through the things which he suffered. Through all of his sufferings. Jesus became perfect through his sufferings. 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want to read this this morning, beginning in verse 19. I want to read it. I'm just going to read it from the NIV. If you don't have the NIV, you can just look up here. The Bible says this beginning in verse 19. For it is commendable if a man bears up 
under the pain of unjust suffering because he is, he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Stop right there and let me say this. You need to understand suffering will come to you two different ways. Suffering will come to you two different ways. Number one, if you do wrong, you can expect to suffer. But guess what? Suffering will also come to you when you're doing right. In other words, if you're living for God, you can expect to go through some sufferings. If you're not living for God, you can expect to go through some sufferings. But I'm going to tell you a little secret here. You want to be living for God when you're going through the sufferings, as you're going to see right here in these scriptures. Uh, verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. Now notice, leaving you an example. Leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So are we supposed to follow Jesus in the area of suffering? Isn't that amazing? Verse 22. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself. So this is the first time we get to hear the kids above us. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Oh, that's good news. Amen. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So here in these two sets of scriptures, Jesus is to be our example of what? Of sufferings. Isn't that amazing? Now, am I the only one that sometimes you stop and you, I mean, it's, it's almost doesn't make much sense, does it? Did Jesus suffer while he was here on the earth? Oh, friends, you've got to get this. It's obvious because we see that it, he did right here in these verses. I know it kind of does sound strange to us, but Jesus suffered while on the earth. Jesus, the perfect man, suffered while here on the earth. And if he suffered, now get this, then it must be okay when we're suffering. You know what the devil loves to do is try to isolate us. You're the only one that's going through something like this. You're the only one that is facing this kind of, of, of tribulation, this kind of test, this kind of trial. He's a stinking liar. I said he's a stinking liar. Listen, suffering is just a part of life in this sin-filled, fallen world. It's just a part of life. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been walking with God. I don't care how mature you are, you are in the things of Christ. You can expect to suffer for Christ. Or suffer for Christ. Or if you're not living for Christ, suffer for that reason. You can just expect to suffer. Okay, you're dismissed. Everybody feel warm and fuzzy right now? <laughs> Listen. And it can either take us out. Or we can follow the example of Jesus and come out stronger on the other side. 
Did you hear that? You can, it could, the sufferings you go through can either take you out or you can come out stronger on the other side, just like Jesus. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I plan on coming out stronger on the other side. Amen. Now, before we get into how Jesus suffered and how he responded when he was suffering, I believe it's very important to bring something out here that's very, very important to understand. So I want you to pay attention to this. When it comes to suffering, we must distinguish being, uh, Jesus being our example in suffering and Jesus being our substitute in suffering. Did you hear that? In the case of him being our substitute, that's referring to when Jesus was made sin with our sins and went to the cross to die there for us. In other words, he took our place. He was our substitute because only he could do what he did there. The perfect lamb of God. And thank God, everything he accomplished for us through, as our substitute through his redemptive work now belongs to us. So with that in mind, should we as Christians have to suffer with sickness and disease? Should we as Christians have to suffer uh, with being held in bondage, bondages? What about poverty and lack? The answer is no to each one of these, my friends. Listen, why? Because healing and being blessed and prosperous and being free, living free, are all a part of the redemptive package. Glory to God. And now all we have to experience those things in our lives is to reach out with our hands of faith and bring it to us. Did you hear me? Glory to God. That's such good news. That's such good news. Because Jesus was our substitute, because Jesus died on the cross for you and me, because Jesus died on that cross, because Jesus went down into the heart of the earth to pay the penalty for our sins, because Jesus was raised to life again, glory to God. All that he did, he did for you and me as our substitute. And everything he accomplished, it's done, period, settled, forever in the heavenlies. That means all we got to do is see it in the Bible, get the faith in our hearts, and reach out and take it. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was over in that other facility, I was talking about having hope. How many remember that? Do you remember I teaching on that? You got to have hope for faith to reach out and take a hold of. I was thinking of my wife. My wife is a painter. And she can make these incredible creations, but it doesn't just start with nothing in here first. In other words, she gets the picture here inside of her. Her hope is that she sees what she's, help me Holy Spirit, she sees what she wants, but then she picks up the brush and begins to paint it and it comes to pass. The picking up of the brush to bring it to pass is using your faith to see it come to pass in our lives. We got to first see it in here, though. We got to paint the picture on the inside of some of you got to change the way you see yourselves. Some of you got to get rid of the paintings of the enemy. Get rid of the paintings of your past because who you are in the past cannot, cannot affect your future unless you let it to. Too many Christians are doing that, my friends. Too many Christians 
or allowing their past to keep them from their futures. But what's in your past, listen, what's in your past is under the blood. You know what's, what, what, what happens is people fail to understand how powerful the blood of Jesus is. Because if you are still bound up in your past, if you are still bound up in your mistakes, then what has happened is you have failed to understand the power of the blood. Now, I want you to know something right now. I'm preaching to you, but I'm preaching to myself. Because I believe everybody in here, at one time or another, when you've messed up, you dealt with that afterwards. You allowed the condemnation to come, the guilt to come. That ain't the way it's supposed to happen. Are you hearing me? The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Which means when you mess up, you fess up, you get up, and you go forward. Glory to God. That's having an understanding of the power of the blood. I do not want my life to be hindered from fulfilling my destiny because I'm allowing my past to keep me in my past. And what it happens is, see, the devil will come and paint a picture in there. You are worthless. You are a sorry rascal. You'll always make mistakes. You'll never live victorious. You don't have what it takes. You don't have, you're not a Christian. All of this junk, he'll paint a picture on the inside of you. And what do Christians do? Oh, you must be who I am. I just, I don't have what it takes. I'm just a loser. I always fail in life. They've painted a picture. They've allowed the devil to paint the picture, and they've accepted that. I'll tell you a little secret right now. It's time to get rid of that picture. Use the blood and let the blood just cover it. And I'm telling you, that picture will begin to dissolve and to go away. Then allow yourself to paint a different picture. You paint the picture of who you really are. See yourself the way he sees you. You're a child of God. Son of God, daughter of God. I'm a child. I want to see myself. I remember uh, uh, Keith Moore was talking about how he, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, was told to, that uh, was prophesied over him, I believe, by Brother Copeland. You're supposed to get your own plane. That you're you're going to have a plane and you're going to be flying your own plane and stuff. And he said, man, my faith wasn't there. I didn't have it in me yet. And he said, he started, he started to get pictures of the plane that he was believing God, wanted to believe God for and everything else. But he said, he, he saw the plane. And he saw Brother Copeland and Gloria sitting in the plane. But he couldn't see himself sitting in the plane yet. But he kept confessing it. Kept believing it. Keep, kept speaking what he was believing instead of what he, the false stuff. That he would never have it. And so what did he do? He kept at it, and he kept at it, until one day he looked, and there he was. He was in, he was in the, the, what they call it, the cockpit. He saw himself in the cockpit, but he said it started out with just wings, and then the tail, and then the, the body parts. Thank you, buddy. It just, it was, my mind was going a million miles an hour trying to figure it out. And then, then he saw the cockpit, and then he saw somebody else in it, and then finally he saw himself in it. And he knew once he got that picture in him, he was ready to reach out and take it. And he brought it to himself. Hallelujah. That's what we got to do. Every one of you, if you're a child of God, see yourself as a child of God. And I don't care how many times you've messed up. Because if you've messed up as many times as I've messed up, I'm going to tell you something right now. Your pastor's messed up a lot. 
You know, everybody's like going, what do you mean, Pastor? Tell me about it. That's between me and Jesus. But guess what? It's really not even between me and him any longer. Because he chooses not to remember it. Woo! Glory! It's under the blood. Listen. Who you choose to believe that you are is up to you. I'm going to choose to believe who God says I am. The way he sees me. He sees me as his very own child. I'm accepted by the beloved. He loves me with a love everlasting. Glory to God, this is good. Wasn't even in my notes, but it's good. Paint the picture. And how can you paint the picture? You got to get in the Bible. You got to start meditating in the Bible. You got to start confessing the word over yourself. Say what God says about you. I tell you, I'm giving some people in here some answers if they'll just listen. Did you hear what I just said? You need to be listening because this has changed your life. You got to see yourself victorious. I've got to see myself a pastor of a huge church. And again, that's not to brag on me because I, I serve a big God. I believe what God has put in me and that I give out to you is something that changes people's lives. I've seen it happen too much. But in order for it to come to pass, I got to see it in here first. I got to get it, the painting done on the inside of me. I've got to keep the word the Lord has spoken to me before me. I've got to be speaking that out of my mouth on a consistent basis. I'm going to confess to my church, I haven't been doing it as much as I need to be doing it. But I'm changing. I said I'm changing because our best days are before us, my friends. And I see a church filled with people. Glory to God. That, that anointing on that praise and worship is exactly what I've been believing him for. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Gotta go potty? <laughs> oh, now that's a, <laughs> that hurt. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, she got off really late. Anyway, praise God. <laughs> Here you go. I know. I could go somewhere, but I won't. Praise God. Praise you, Jesus. Anyway, listen. We're called to live by faith. But if we're not going to get it in here first, we're not going to paint the picture in here first by seeing how God sees us, it's not going to come to pass. Did everybody see that this morning? What ain't that good? I, I'm changing. I'm changing the way I see myself. I'm serious. That's some good stuff right there, Maynard. Hallelujah, glory to God. What was that from? I don't remember, but it was a statement from somebody. Praise you, Jesus. So the, the, the sufferings we go through can either take us out, or we can follow the example of Jesus and come out stronger on the other side. We were looking at the fact that he took our place. Jesus was our substitute. He's the one that went to the cross. He's the one that went, died for our sins. And everything he accomplished for us, is now available to us. Amen? He's our substitute. He literally took our place. So when we read here in 1 Peter chapter 2, that Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, is that referring to the work of redemption? Is that referring to when Jesus went to the cross and died there for our sins? No. It's not referring to that. No one could have done what Jesus did because none of us have lived a sin-free life. 
Only Jesus accomplished that. Only Jesus was the spotless Lamb of God. Amen. All right. We can see right here in 1 Peter chapter 2, however, some of the things that Jesus suffered through at the hands of the religious people of his day. What did they do, the religious people? Did they persecute Jesus? Boy, they hurled names at him big time. They called him names. They ridiculed him. They made fun of him. But did Jesus let any of that bother him? No, instead of retaliating and hurling back insults at his persecutors, the Bible tells us that when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This is a key here. In other words, he simply put his trust in God, knowing that God had his back. Did you hear that? Friends, we can learn something big right there. God will always deliver his children out of Satan's plans when we put ourselves into his hands. Kind of rhymed. Did you see that? Glory to God. As the Bible tells us in Psalm 37, 5, I do this all the time. We're called to commit our way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. And He will bring that situation to pass where we come out on top. In other words, we give Him the legal right to move on our behalf. And when He does, He'll always cause us to triumph. Ooh, hallelujah. Oh, what a good God. Now turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 4. This is right after Jesus was baptized, water baptized, and the Spirit of God came down as a dove and rested upon him. Luke chapter 4, we're going to read a bunch of scriptures here in Luke 4. The remaining time that we have. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by who? Was led by the Spirit. Into the wilderness. He was led by the spirit. Into the wilderness. Being tempted for 40 days by the devil. Who was Jesus tempted by? Was it his father? It was the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward when they had ended. He was hungry. 40 days not eating. How many of you would be hungry? Now I want you to see this. I want to emphasize this to you. It's important to understand this. There will be times where the Spirit of God will lead us into particular situations where we will be faced with temptations and tests and trials. I want you to get this. But does that mean those temptations are from God? Absolutely not. The Bible brings this out very clearly in James chapter 1. Listen to this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Pretty clear. So our loving and good God is not the one who tempts us. Rather, God is the one who delivers us out of temptations. The Bible says in 2 Peter 2.9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And then Psalm uh, 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, 
But the Lord delivers them out of them all. You know, it's so sad because I know a lot of people like to kind of focus in on the first part of that, that statement, that scripture, that verse. But they don't continue reading the rest of it. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Woe is us. Yeah, we're going to face many afflictions. But glory to God, read the rest of the scripture. But the Lord delivers them out of them. Out of them. How many? How many is all? Every single one. Hey, glory to God. So if God is not the source of temptations, then who is? Well, the Bible tells us right there in James chapter 1. Look at verse 14. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires. That means his own lusts. I wish they would have used that word instead of desires there. And enticed. They were in temp- you're being tempted by something that seems to offer pleasure or something that seems advantageous at that time. It's drawing you. Ooh, that looks good. Shiny new little toy. Ooh. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Then when desire, lust, has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. It's a strong scripture, isn't it? So lust can conceive, and when it's conceived, it can bring forth sin And eventually that sin is going to bring forth death. But who's the one that had it? What is the source of the temptations? And the sufferings in a person's life. In many instances, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. In other words, it's our flesh. How many know that your flesh is contrary to your spirit? Your flesh always wants to take the easy way out. Your flesh always wants to do what feels good. I mean, come on now. Isn't it easier on your flesh just to sit down in a chair, a lazy boy, and turn on the television and not do anything else? I have come to understand something. There are shows that I watch on television. I'll be the first to admit it. But I've come to understand something. There is probably, I don't know how many channels we have. We have way more than we even come close to using. Too bad they they used to be where you could pick out your channels. Well, that would be so much better. We could knock a bunch of them out. But I, I was just thinking about this the other day. Out of all the channels I have, not to be able to find one thing on the television that I want to watch. And then all of a sudden, it just dawned on me. Oof. Why don't you go spend time with God? Instead of trying to figure something out to watch that you really don't want to watch. And it definitely ain't going to do you no good. We watched this new show, and I'm not saying that this show is a bad show or anything, although it's really stupid. It's called, what is it called? Shelby the Swamp Man or something like that. The new adventures of Shelby the Swamp Man. is this dude in, in Louisiana. Oh, my goodness. It's the most ridiculously stupid show ever in the history of man. But my wife and I watch it. I don't know what that says about us. And the thing about it, we, I, she starts to talk just like him. Popo, get over here, Popo. Popo. 
<laughs> she said, it's true. You're welcome, baby. Hallelujah. There you go. Amen. So where it's our flesh, usually it's our flesh that causes us to enter it. It's when our flesh yields to temptation. Are you hearing me? That's what happens. We, once you yield to the temptation, you're entering into sin. And eventually that sin is going to bring about death. We don't want death in our lives, do we? Now, I want you to understand this. I'm not saying, because I know that people have said this, you know, had this mentality. I don't want to be committing a sin when Jesus comes back for me. Like, that means you're not going to be able to make it into heaven. Jesus already dealt with the sin issue. The only way you don't make it into heaven is if you reject Christ. You turn away from Christ. You, it's like I heard one minister say it this way, and this is the most simplistic way I know to say it. Is that you step through the door to get into heaven. Jesus is the door. And you step back out the door to get it out of heaven. Jesus. You reject him. You turn against him. And, and, and it's, it's, it's really difficult, I'll say it that way, for a person to commit the unpardonable sin. I'm, you need to understand that. Because I'll tell you what the devil loves to hit people with that one. In fact, you go to a, an insane asylum. They say that almost the vast majority of them deal with that right there. They've allowed themselves to think that they've committed the unpardonable, unpardonable sin and they're headed for hell and there's nothing that can be done. Now, there are people. I, Brother Hagan tells the stories of people. One woman was a worship leader, I think, if I'm not mistaken, had a beautiful voice and would live, was living for God, had tasted the good things of God, being used by God. And then all of a sudden, it was like the way Brother Hagan described it, it was like a little black thing got in her, in her soul. Little tiny, little tiny thing. And she started to think of herself more highly than she ought. She got over into pride. And then all of a sudden, it just became, the, the, the black thing began to grow bigger and bigger and bigger to it. That black thing consumed her. And she totally turned her back on God. Hated God. Didn't want to have anything to do with God anymore. If she messed up, she didn't care any longer. She would not repent of her sins anymore. See what I'm saying? So it's difficult for a person to really lose their salvation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? point I'm trying to make is Jesus comes back and you're in the middle of a sin. Listen, the blood of Jesus has already forgiven you. Yes, you need to repent of it. But I guarantee you this much, if you're going up and you're in the middle of sin, wouldn't you be saying, God, forgive me. Oh, dear Jesus. Hallelujah. So I said all that to give you a little peace of mind. Amen. But the bottom line is, is if a person continues in sin and is habitual, 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 where sin is concerned. You know what I'm talking about? It's a habit. You're constantly doing it over and 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 over again. It's a lifestyle. Then sooner rather than later, you're going to find death at your doorstep. And it's not going to be anybody's fault but your own. Now, I don't believe it's the death of, you know, there's the second death. You don't want to experience the second death. First death is natural death. Second death is separation from God. You don't want to experience that. We were once separated from God. Now we're alive to God. But the bottom line is you don't want to die being separated from God because that's the way you will enter into eternity. You'll forever be separated from God. You hear how I'm saying that? So I believe what that's referring to, what's going to end up happening is death to your physical body. That's what sin does to you eventually. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay, so uh, 
we're going to get into that later on. But I want to go back to Luke chapter 4, like I said. I don't have much more time. Uh, so after being led by the Spirit into the wilderness, Jesus is tempted by the devil for 40 days. But with each temptation, he overcame it by simply speaking the word. It is written. It is written. It is written. Again, we can learn something very big here. Please listen to me. Please pay attention. If you want to overcome temptations every single time, then you have to overcome them with the word. Did you hear what I just said? Don't try to do it in your own strength or with your own willpower because it will not work. We've got to use the sword of the Spirit just like Jesus did. But how can you use the sword of the Spirit like Jesus did if you don't know the Word? Did you know the Bible says that my people, God speaking, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge? Why do you think I insist upon, first of all, it's my responsibility as a minister of the gospel, as the shepherd of this sheep, to feed you with the good news, the Bible. Amen. But you need to come to a church that is preaching the word of God. And then you need to feed on the word of God for yourself. You need to read your Bible. You need to meditate in your Bible. You need to paint that different picture on the inside with your Bible. You need to, to confess the word of God over your life. Amen. You've got to be someone who is constantly in the Bible. Constantly in the word of God. Amen. But th that's when, glory to God, you're able to, when the temptations arise... All of a sudden, bam, you got the word. You got your sword out, and you're cutting the devil out. But I want to say this, too, because I thought this is something the Lord showed me as well. I don't know how it is for you or if you've dealt with this before. You, you, you know, the devil's come and brought the temptation against you, and you, you use the word of God against him. It is written. But the devil didn't leave. It's right there, and he kept tempting you. And you said, it is written. Then you're speaking the scriptures out. But he keeps, keeps at it. Has anybody else ever dealt with that before? The devil's just, how many know the devil's a persistent cuss? It is important for you to understand that, my friends. Jesus dealt with the devil three different temptations. But each time he replied with, it is written. The point I'm trying to make is this. Although the devil will keep coming back to see if you really mean business, and that's big to understand. You've got to always reply to him with the word. In other words, don't put your sword down. Keep your sword up. Keep your sword sharp. And the only way that's going to happen is keep the word in you. Get your mind renewed with the truth of the word of God. You know, the Bible says no temptation, no test is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. Glory to God. Think about that. What is that way of escape that we may be able to endure it? The Bible. The holy written word of God. Was that too fast? Did I need to slow that down a little bit? But do you, hear, do you, do you get my point? There's nothing you're going to face. That it hasn't first crossed by God. And God said he can handle it. She can handle it. And then when it comes across your pathway, rip it up and down one side and down the other side with the sword of the Spirit. See, if you got the word in you, the Holy Spirit will bring it to your remembrance. Speak it out. Don't have a thought battle. I mean, you're walking down somewhere and you're like going like this. What are you doing? 
The devil's hitting me with temptations right now. No, speak it out. I know a lot of times people say, well, I don't want to embarrass myself. Who cares? You want to live in victory and success or you want to fail? You want to, you want to overcome the temptations or you want to yield to them? Be bold about it. Speak the word over it. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I wonder if I should stop right here. Who said no? So let me just, I really don't have that much longer to go, but another 30 minutes. No, we got scriptures. It's scripture, so I'm going to read. So just stick with me, okay? Please, everybody good? Okay. Verse 16 says, so he came, Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, in other words, he does this on a regular basis, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, hey, isn't this Joseph's son? He said to them, now this is where it really starts to stir up the hornet's nest. He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Verse 27, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Well, what is Jesus saying to them right there? What he's saying to them is, since you're going to reject me and the message I'm bringing to you, I'm going to take the message that I'm the anointed one and that the year of Jubilee has come to the Gentiles. I'm going to take it to the Gentiles because they'll receive me. Now notice what happens. Verse 28, so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They didn't get a little bit upset. They got big time upset. They were the chosen ones. They were God's chosen ones. And Jesus is telling them that he is going to take the message that he's the anointed one and, 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 and that God is going to do awesome things in the earth. He's, not, he's going to take it to the Gentiles. Boy, that made them just incredibly mad and now notice and verse 29 and rose up and thrust him out of the city so they are they're doing something they're thrusting him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built that they might throw him down all over the cliff are they happy with jesus are they are they kind of are, are you getting the picture here they're filled with wrath 
And I, it's kind of sometimes when you read that, you're kind of thinking, come on, Jesus, why don't you come with us now? No, they're pushing him. They're shoving him. They're taking him into a brow of the, the, the edge of a cliff. They're planning on throwing Jesus off the cliff. That's how angry they are with him. But notice how Jesus responds to it all. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Now, again, you read that, and I don't think we get the full intent was written. Because in the Greek, it actually implies that this was a supernatural event. See, I believe while Jesus is being pushed up to this mountain to be thrown off this cliff, that he's committing it all to God, his Father. God, I trust you. I commit it to you now. I trust you. All of a sudden, they get up to the cliff. Something happens. All of a sudden, everything just, they just stop. I bet this, I, I could just hear all the shouting just stop. And they back away from Jesus. He turns around and just walks right through the midst of them. Did you see that? That is so incredibly powerful. He committed it to his daddy. Daddy took care of him. Glory to God. So when Jesus was reviled and threatened by people, he didn't respond in kind, did he? He didn't threaten them back. He didn't call them names. Friends, when they hurled insults at Jesus, he didn't retaliate. Instead, he learned to give these situations to his father and allowed him to work on his behalf. Go with me quickly. I'm almost done. To Hebrews chapter 2. Just a couple more scriptures and that's it. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, that's speaking of you and me, he himself, Jesus, likewise shared in the same, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. That's us. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's speaking of our redemption. But notice verse 18. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. He's able to aid those who are tempted. Jesus is the one who brings us aid when we're being tempted if we'll look to him. For, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, you can just look up here for time's sake. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Oh, what an amazing Savior. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So once again did Jesus suffer. Did he face temptations and persecutions and revilings of all kinds and all kinds of other junk? Yes. But once again, he learned that he didn't have to do these battles by himself. Instead, all he needed to do was entrust himself to God the Father. And when he did this, then his father turned around and went to bat for him. Fought the fights for him. Oh, thank you, Jesus. No matter how difficult the situation he was facing, he came through it with flying colors every single time. Plus, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 5 that Jesus was made perfect through what he suffered. Jesus was made perfect through what he suffered. 
So Jesus suffered for us, didn't he? And he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. He left us an example that we're supposed to follow. And the next time we get back together, we're going to get more into this. I want to explore this more thoroughly. What it comes down to is if we want to be perfected like Jesus was perfected. How many want to grow up in God? Mature in the things of God. Become perfect in the things of God. Then we're going to have to go through sufferings. We will go through sufferings. The point being here today is this. Again, we can come through them victoriously or we can allow them to defeat us. I don't like that word defeat in my life. The only time I like defeat in my life was when I'm speaking about defeat. I know, it was really bad. Oh, well, it just came when I was speaking. I'm serious. I don't like, I don't like, I don't like losing. As a Christian, I don't have to. I'm not saying I'm going to live perfectly from this day forward, but what I am saying is I know the one who has lived perfectly and the one who has shown me how to walk it out. The one whom I'm called to walk in his steps, to follow his example. And Jesus learned to turn it all over to his Father. Commit it to his God. And if we can do that, then glory to God, we can know that God's got our back. God will be there for you and me. Amen? Hallelujah. Are you getting something out of this this morning? I want to talk about this more clear. Open this up and make it more clear for you guys. Because again, every one of you are going to suffer in this world. Whether you're living for Jesus or whether you're not. But the bottom line is you want to be living for Jesus when you're suffering because then he's got your back. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God this morning. I believe the word of God is truth. I thank you that God...